Hello, hello, my friends. We're back again. Shady's back for another episode of Too Much Information with Sean Arnold. My name is Sean Arnold. My guests today are good dudes, friends of mine. Uh, they are the co-founders of a company called Novus Opera. Um, that does a lot of stuff, but most famously and specifically. Um, the Garfield's Crossing project. Um, it's a collaborative storytelling project, I guess is the best way to put it. A collection of short stories um, originally written um, about a fictional town in North Georgia. Um, they are in the process of, or have done a lot of work towards turning it into, I guess I'll ask them this when we get to chatting. Um, I've used the term teleplay, which I think is the idea of an, an audio or an audio um, scripted episode um, of of each of these individual stories um, using uh, local voice acting talent. Um, I have participated in this as a voice actor. I would not go so far as to saying that it was any talent involved, but I did have a lot of fun doing it. Um, but let's get into it. It's a really, really cool project. Um, creatives are fun. Joining me now, Brandon Duke, Clayton Romero. How are you, gentlemen? Hey, how you doing? I'm good. I am good. How are you? Uh, uh, I'm well, and I think you sell yourself short. Ah. Um, I I really do with the uh, with the voice acting. Uh, You play a couple different characters, each of which is uh, well, certainly is a a character in you know the second sense of that word. But uh, it's 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 pretty awesome getting to work with you. I think your performances will be memorable. (laughs) It was Uh, very it was very very fun. I appreciate that. For someone that is not that has maybe played at acting a little, you know, a few times in the past, um, and I wouldn't call it my profession. I mean, even some of the people like I, I have to tell you when you first approached me about getting involved before we even get into the genesis of it, my skepticism existed in many levels, um, <laughs> mostly directed at myself, right? Just a, around the idea, but because it's been a while, and then you know, obviously, just as a in a purely audio medium, it's a different sort of animal you know what i mean oh, so sure. I, you know just thinking about um and, and as a person that is a a that i guess had never thought about it but is a um my vocabulary is leaving me but a, an appreciator of vo- great voice acting you know have you know enjoying a connoisseur or yeah enjoying comic book you know things and obviously seeing you know sort of things over the years like the killing joke you know, with, you know, the Batman stuff and listening to Mark Hamill, you know, and like Kevin Conroy do the whole Batman Joker thing. And, you know, the the, the myriad of other things you, you don't it's when you take out the fact that people can't see you. I don't think it's something you think about until then you have to convey things without being able to use eyes, hands, movement. You know, it's yeah. just sort of a different beast right altogether. But we're totally into making the sausage right now. Um, just, just before we get into that, just for the sake of, even though I sort of blustered through or bungled through the intro, can you guys just talk about 
your Garfield's Crossing and the Novus Opera thing just in general and how you, you know, how this came to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, you want me to handle that or you want to handle that one? Um, go right ahead. So uh, back in 2016 or so, it's actually it's happened a, a couple different times before then. I've had a couple of false starts where uh, I've, I've written since I was a little kid. Um, in fact, the first story I ever wrote was in third grade. Uh, I'm relatively certain that shortly thereafter, uh, it was recommended to my parents that I maybe see a counselor <laughs> based <laughs> on the content of what I wrote. And that's what he knew. He had. Um, yeah, it was a, uh, I was supposed to write like one page double spaced, you know, as a third grader would for a story and I turned in like four or five pages typed single space the whole bit about some guy getting abducted and being turned into a monster. It was a whole thing. Um, <laughs> thus the counseling was there. Pro- but, um, right. And so all, all through, um, uh, my childhood leading into my adulthood, I've tried to find other sort of like-minded people to create with. And the challenge with all of those is that there's, there's plenty of that out there. I mean, you look at Nana Remo, for example, the November whatever writers competition, I forget what the hell it actually stands for. But with that, they pair you with some other collaborators and some other authors. And you all have this sort of social kind of accountability thing. But the problem is in all of those, I was finding zero collaboration. And a lot of people are just very self-serving. It's all, oh, well, you help me, but I don't want to reciprocate. And that was really frustrating. And so a couple of different times I'd shot something out onto social media or whatever the case was. And it just so happened that in, in 2016, um, Brandon was like, well, fuck, I've tried this a couple of times. It hasn't worked out, but why not? Well, let's 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 do it now. And so we got together with two other people um, to try and start this collaborative project thing. And it started out as a very wide weird concept of well let's do we start with uh one common story and each of us sort of round robin it and take our own turn at writing well then that gets kind of weird and and sort of forces people into a specific genre and so you really end up having just one person write the whole thing with a bunch of sub writers doing their dirty work um or do you have it i think that it came down the closest it had come to its current iteration before being its current iteration was, well, what about surrounding around um, a hotel room? Because there's that's, there's been some precedence with that where, um, and Brandon will have to to uh, call this one in because I can never remember what the hell the piece of fiction is. But there's already pieces of fiction that specifically say, here's this hotel room, here are stories that happen in this hotel room. Um, and that was really very interesting because it gave us a lot of freedom to go between genre and go between style and so on. But it was still too limiting. Because it was a hotel room and invariably you're going to get like one or two stories each and then you're going to start getting really, really tangential with how the hotel is involved and then it sort of breaks the concept. So we said, well, fuck it. What about a town? Right. We all live in small towns. Small town America is very deeply rooted in the American psyche. Yeah, that'll work. And being that we a lot of people were uh, who were a part of the genesis of the project were from Atlanta or from Georgia in general. Uh, we all kind of know the North Georgia mountains for being as gorgeous as they are and have a lot of really interesting towns there with Helen and, um, you know, some of the, the Germanic stuff that's up there. Um, all nice places to visit, 
but when like if you live there like it becomes kind of a weird it's it's a bizarre situation living in any small town helen or as i like to call it bavarian panama city yeah right (laughs) that's a good one yeah Uh, no kidding (laughs) sorry go ahead uh, for for anyone who's listening right now who does not know Helen, Georgia, I highly recommend you come and uh, and take a look. Just be careful of when you're coming in because man, it is it is packed in the fall. Yeah, it uh, is. A, well, it should be. It's gorgeous. For context, it it really literally is a a sort of replica Bavarian city. Right? It has literally been made to look like a Swiss um, German village, so much so that they actually I, I read somewhere that they paid extra to put the the electrical wires under the street so as not to ruin the aesthetic of having them be up in the town. So they won't you know, when they when you take all the, the pictures on the street, it you have these nice clear skies just to see all the architecture and everything. It's they they went really hardcore with it. Yeah, and there's only and 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 if you are ever feeling froggy and and are in Georgia, if you're from here or come to visit and go up there, <clears throat> it is uh, there's about there's about three roads that come into the place, and they're all two lane roads. And if it's Oktoberfest when they, which is really their big sort of thing, um, you effectively that whole section of the state becomes a bit of a disaster because it's just everyone <laughs> and their cousin is trying to get in there. Oh yeah, it's a, you you're going to be kind of crawling into the city from about like late September to early November. So anyway, I didn't mean to get tangential on Helen, but um that's just a But, but you, no, that's that's what really inspired it. I and mean, as some as someone that's from a small North Georgia town, you know, originally, like I can certainly appreciate the sentiment, right? Like it's and I think that's sort of I mean, you certainly have geography and but you effectively that microcosm you can lay that in just about any state in the union right that yeah. your your rural sort of mountainous or you know or or otherwise you know area <laughs> right i mean think short of probably well i don't know i mean i think probably everywhere's got something like that you know except for maybe think, maybe yeah, arizona it becomes a question of scale <laughs> no even arizona you get it no i mean like you you look at um you look at scale then. So, you know, I think you go up to Alaska, you're still going to have people who relate to what is a small town, but what a small town is for them is like, Oh, Joe Bob and his three cousins who all live within the 25 square meter, you know, square meter or uh, square mile radius. That's a small town for them. Um, whereas what we've related is, you know, a couple thousand people, I think in, in a couple square miles. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, everybody knows like there's there's like all the ac- action and usually like the movies and stuff. There's a lot of no shortage of things that always happen in big cities. But, you know, there's a lot more small towns and it's just going to be like a more intimate feel. If you want to really have like have some characters to latch on to, it's easier to do it in a small town where now you can kind of fill out that world with a little bit less work. But if also if you said it like in a. A town like you, know, like you know, something like a Helen or like a Dahlonega or Hiawassee, any one of these towns up in North Georgia that that they kind of thrive on the big fall festival or Oktoberfest. Um, you also leave room to have like visitors coming and going, like a good steady stream of you know new people. So you can, like, if you're building something like that out in a piece of fiction, you can have like your regulars, like we have, and then you can bring in new people. So there's always kind of a good mix. So it kind of allows you to kind of establish, you know, like a group of people you can kind of hang on to. 
but also kind of bring new people in. So like you never really get stuck just working with the same group of stock characters. It also feels like there's a, it, it allows you to do a lot of character interoperability without mm-hmm. sort of stretching disbelief, right? Yeah. Like the mayor's cousins with the person that owns the feed store and the sheriff used to date the DA and the, and in a right. big city, it's like, well, what's the feel like everybody that's, you know, every major player is connected in some sort of way, but like, that's <laughs> oh, sort of the, that's the check of small towns is like, right. Like everybody has got some, everybody's Kevin Bacon to everybody else. And some your dad used to date your fourth grade, fourth grade teacher or some shit like that, you know? Yeah. It's, in some form or fashion. And it's not strange that every single person that comes into the window is somehow connected to everyone else. Yeah. It, it certainly gives you a lot of shorthand. Um, and as Brandon was saying, there's kind of a, I mean, it's a cheap trick because you get this instantaneous intimate feel with everything. Uh, and it allows you, and one of the things that was most exciting about it and has only become more exciting as the project has continued is it allows you to build this organic, uh, and yet not, not like, not sprawling, not, you don't lose context with it. The audience understands this is the town and it becomes more real with the more details you get, but it isn't so huge that you're looking at the problem with like, Oh shit. Now I need to understand Chicago in its entirety from the upper Wacker, lower Wacker drive down to, you know, uh, Monroe and all the way up to Navy pier. And like, okay, so Chicagoans get that, but no one outside Chicago has a fucking clue what I just said. So you take that into small town and suddenly you're like, Oh shit. Okay. Well it's red line road. And then that's Main Street and everything's on that little strip there. And everyone knows the sheriff because who hasn't seen the Andy Griffith show? And, you know, we all know that we have like all these cultural touchstones that just live in our in our American soul. I I would venture to say there's probably an, an equivalent in any other civilization out there. I think that's probably very human in nature. We we do this social tribal thing. We like these small groups. Um, so I think we're just sort of naturally built to do that. So like I said, it, we're, we're very cheap, tricky about it. You know, you try and exploit the things that um, feel real and feel small and intimate while still being very interesting. Well, there's a certain shorthand, I think, with all types of writing, because, I mean, you could probably look at any movie or any piece of fiction and say, well, this is that. OK, you got your main character who's going to be your your blank slate that everyone can latch on to. And then you've got your side character who's going to be, you know, the you know, uh, kind of get like the whole Joseph Campbell of it all. You get like the the mentor character or you get the the villains and then like the character who might be like the wild card or something like that. And we. We kind of you you take that, but then you try to put your own spin on it. So you know we've got the town sheriff, and then we got the the deputy. But instead of making it like Andy Griffin and Barney Fife, so let's let's make these two guys like actually really really competent and very kind of like two guys that can handle like anything. So you got uh, Abernathy Jackson, the sheriff, you know, an African American guy from Chicago who just has found himself in this position, and he's an ex marine. Then his deputy is a former Green Beret, so it kind of like suddenly we've already, you've already kind of turned that old kind of good old boy, you know, cop thing on its head right off the bat. And then, you know, we kind of start adding in, you know, like one of the characters I've created was a, um, a blacksmith just because like almost any mountain festival you go to, you're going to go have the people up there who are selling knives and, 
little, you know, metal trinkets and you got the glass blowers and all like all the craftsmen who tend to live in those areas and like that's okay. Well, that's another character we can make. And then like, we got a lady who runs the diner and she's the, you know, like the town, the, the person that everyone goes to, to like kind of get the town gossip, you know, just they, like you would have like plenty of examples of these in real life, but we also try to do it in a way that kind of seems fun and kind of like a little unexpected. Yeah. You like kind of, you know, cause I think with something like this, you run the danger of people coming into it with a lot of preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what? Cause we've all, again, we've heard these stories before, you know, it's like, like, like it's just like things that kind of live in the American soul. Like you hear that, that idea, Oh, it's the small town thing, but we try to do it in a way that's a little unexpected and you go, Oh, okay. There it's, it's a little, little different here. Like things, this is, this isn't exactly, this is definitely not Mayberry. <laughs> Yeah, interesting, and and not to get too tangential, and <clears throat> certainly I'm not at all trying to pivot to politics um, in any capacity. But um, I read an article <clears throat> recently where you know, and, and the way I correlate this to what you guys are doing is, is for people that like this kind of thing, I encourage you to consume it because you know or to check it out because <clears throat> it, 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 there's an interesting thing going on in our country right now where. I feel like there's almost this uh, oppositional thing happening between sort of rural America and, and, and urban America. Oh, absolutely. But, but what's, what's, what's interesting is, is I think that people that are from these small towns and understand mm-hmm. how they function, right. Um, versus people that are not right. It's it sort of, it comes from just a lack of understanding. And mm-hmm. the article was basically talking about, um, and this is where this actually relates to the project in Garfield's Crossing and the ethos of it, which we'll you know get into more. Is is just this idea of in smaller towns, you absolutely have economy, society, you, you know, all of these things. They're just scaled differently, but also centered around different things. And so you don't have generally access to these large scale city things, right? Like big, huge stadiums for professional sports teams and a a huge purveyance of the arts, um, shopping out, you know, every major brand thing, restaurant, right? You don't have all these things you get in cities. And instead in small towns, you end up people grasping. And this is exactly my experience growing up, right? You have these things that are sort of touchstone fundamental. I thought about this because you mentioned the blacksmith thing, but in the article I read, they basically talk about, I was like, listen, you, this is what you've got. You've got family, you've Mm -hmm. got, um, You've got um, church, you know, Mm -hmm. generally in the United States, there's going to be some, you know, faith element usually. Um, You've got hunting and fishing, right? Because you've got people that are in that arena. You've got high school sports, right? Because you don't have professional sports or usually college sports. Um, And to your point, you've got normally throw in whatever that town's thing is, right? If it's Oktoberfest because it has... German roots, if it's, um, you know, an apple thing, because there's apple orchards there, if there's, you know, there's some, there's a festival or there's some kind of thing that's right, like this sort of idea. And that's their universe instead of the Fox Theater in Atlanta or the Shed Aquarium in, you know, Chicago or, you know what I mean? Like the, or the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. Like you don't have those things. So it ends up really tying around, which a lot of, frankly, those kinds of things like urban people don't obviously always get exposed to, right? Because, you're not hunting and fishing if you grow up in a city you're probably not going you know have people going nuts about high school football games on friday nights you know you're not doing that kind of stuff and the thing is is it's really not different it's just about scale and flavor 
right? It's it and it's just it's a totally different thing. But to your point, it does allow people, I think, in this small environment to really go, all right, what's the so again, I think if you're from small town America and you read these stories like I have, you go, Oh, I get it. I think if you're not from that, you would it would give you a really great lens, right, into what that oh, life's sure. like and how those people are, you know, what it's like to operate in these environments where you don't walk down the street for a month and never see anyone you know, versus mm-hmm. walking down a street and not seeing someone you know is very strange. Oh, and absolutely. And it's what's interesting is that you look at um you look at our, our pop culture, at our big movies, at all of our, you know, look at um, Friday Night Lights yeah. or Varsity Blues, all these things that have been huge movies and franchises and things that continue to recur in our, either in our sort of summer blockbusters or um, <laughs> the WC <laughs> or CW, whatever the hell the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the video is. Um, we clearly, as a populace love those small feel, right? I think it, it, again, looking back at it, at the tribal aspect of things, it allows us that additional piece of escapism of here's something that's a little simpler, a little smaller in scale. We don't have to think about the global economy. We don't have to think about what is the impact of foreign aid versus no foreign aid, (laughs) you know, all, all the extra things that in our modern day brains, we really need to, consider and need to have at least a working understanding of this now you take it back into like you said this that smaller scale it's something that our our little human tribal brains can grab onto and feel comfortable with and i think that's well yeah the, i think that's the the uh, the the, uh, the town village has probably been a, a model that our brains have wrapped our, been able to wrap around for a yeah. far far longer than you know the big cities and even that's been a while but now we're kind of getting to this whole you know the the not to get too political but the whole aspect of like globalism and thinking of the global village like that's a, that's a still a relatively new concept like in our culture it's becoming and it's an obviously like a source of contention but it's like it's hard for people to kind of conceptualize that in a way that we can kind of, you know, make sense of it. But that whole, the, the, like the village aspect or like the small town, that's very, very easy to kind of wrap your head around because there's, there's way more of those than there are. Yeah. Big, so like there's, you probably think like that again, like you said, the whole, the, the whole rural versus urban thing that's going on in America now. And that's been one of the themes that we've touched on, not, Without trying to get too political about it, just like the idea that change comes even to those little places like you just I mean, there are just certain kind of cultural forces out there that just they, they'll find their, you know, eventually it may they'll they'll come to the big cities first, but eventually they're going to get out there to those small towns. And that's kind of been things that we've touched on in time, like just in, in different ways where it's kind of like it. Yeah, again, just kind of take it because we can all I think it's especially in this, you know, especially this year in particular when we saw, you know, Georgia, which is so, you know, I guess for years has been like a political. So, so much for not getting political. Jeez. Well, no, but I'm just saying, it's like you talk about like a cultural like where people who are um, out there are going, oh, my God, what happened? And then like but those of us who are here, like, well, I mean, it was always there. It's just kind of like we just finally got, you know, just kind of tipped the scales from one way. But I mean, like really was the state. I don't feel like it's that much different now than it was four years ago. 
But I mean, mm-hmm. they, people, but it's interesting that people from outside of it can look at it and say, wow, what was this huge cultural shift and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, nah, I mean, but if you're actually, that's the thing too. Like if you're in these towns, you realize change does happen. It just doesn't necessarily happen in that giant way until like there's some metric or something that kind of, you know, pings the scale. But I mean, you, you see it now, like, I mean, in the town I grew up, I remember when I was in high school, if there was like an interracial couple, that was like the talk of the town. And nowadays, like you'll see like interracial couples like walking down the street and it's like, okay, hey, hey, how you doing? Like, like it's no thing. Yeah. And I don't think it's really unique to one sort of ideology or other, right? Like you see shifting, you know, tides, this is not to, you know, I mean, again, even growing up here, you know, same, like in a rural Southern town, right? It's just the, it's the natural progression of, you know, everything and things do sort of, whether it's one ideology or other, they will swing around, you know what I mean? Because, but it happens, right? I think change invariably happens. You know, things societally become more acceptable. And then sometimes even though pe- things retreat, right? Like sometimes even people retreat into other areas that are not as, you know, I've certainly seen, you know, it was interesting to me to see like, um, like when the popularity of something like, um, so like Duck Dynasty is something, right? I can think about, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, the, the, you know, Willie Robertson and, that crew, right? Like that's something that you would think that was really, really obviously hits right squarely. I think if you're looking at demos, these small towns we're talking about, right? Like those are the people that grew up like with a lot of this kind of like being out in the woods and doing that. And then all of a sudden, I mean, I now live in Atlanta, right? Which is one of the biggest cities in the country. And you are in, you know, the middle of Midtown and you see some kid in a camo hat with a duck and you're like, what? hold on. Like, wait a second. Like what? This is Where not. Where the fuck did you come from? Or just like you're you're a fan of this, right? It's like, and he's wearing it ironically, you know. Yeah, or you know, another thing where we've seen these kinds of things is like in rap music, right? Where you you had something that originally started as a very cultural, you know, as a as almost a cultural underground, right? Like for you know for black youth and you know this voice as that art was developing, and then all of a sudden it became like a the the suburban you know white community became a uh, a playing field for that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you're like, and it just seems like it's, you know, it's not at odd at all now, but at the time you start to see these things, these things creep around and, you well, know, no, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because like when I grew up, like, I mean, I'm, I'm a, you know, came up you know, as a teenager in the nineties, like half the guys I knew or like listened to either. I knew guys that listened to only country music and hip hop. Yeah. Not much in between, like, and this is like back in the nineties in rural Georgia. So, I mean, it was art. You could already see like the seeds planting, whereas like maybe like back when my dad grew up, these are the, you know, those kind of guys would have only been listening to like rock and roll or, you know, they wouldn't have touched any, you know, they wouldn't have touched the, the R and B or any of that stuff. But now it's just like, it's just a thing. Oh yeah. Like it's like, you see those, those shifts that kind of happen, you know, kind of quietly but they do happen but and then like but someone from the outside like would probably look look at the like half the guys i went to school with and they wouldn't think they could tell you every line to like a tupac song or like nwa and like it's but it's like that it's it's a that's one of the joys of getting to do something like this um because you can kind of take those ideas and kind of play with them and kind of like expose this stuff that is actually true that it's it's sometimes it's a lot more complex and a lot stranger in a good in good and bad ways than people realize. Yeah. And so as far as, you know, and sort of tying that back into what we're talking about, you know, about your universe, I mean, it's, it's fun because I think if you read the stories, I mean, you get a lot of that, right? Like it is, 
it is small and it is a this idea of the you know again the setting or the ecosystem is a sort of small town but you have this confluence of ideas and people from different places and i mean it's not so insular right that it's you know whatever and it feels like that's very fertile ground for storytelling oh without a question you you get to be very subversive about it because it is so uh appetizing to most audiences you get to sneak in little things you wouldn't have been able to sneak in elsewhere um it, it works out it works out pretty well uh, that does actually lead us to kind of an interesting problem that we ran into, though, and and continue to run into, and it it becomes a um, becomes a a point of a balancing act is that when you, especially when you're dealing with a collaborative environment, and we're up to now seven authors, so we have seven different people with seven different worldviews and experiences and and so on, um, playing in this sandbox, and that requires a certain level of uh, respect for each other, but it also requires a certain level of restraint because if you write a story that is in the same setting, in the same town, in the same timeline, everyone else has to respect that story. So you can't have, for example, uh, a zombie apocalypse. That can't happen. Right? Because if it does, everyone else is like, well, fuck, I guess this is what I'm doing now. Right. We're all now doing a zombie apocalypse. Or we have to uh, find ourselves in a sort of retconny situation where um, that it very immediately breaks suspension of disbelief. And you're like, well, but hold on. Wasn't last week it zombie apocalypse? And, oh, now you're just going to say that was like an elaborate uh, Halloween thing? That doesn't work for me. It was all a dream. Yeah, for, the, that's right. for those of us that remember Dallas, yeah. um, <laughs> it was all a dream. Um, uh, no, but so that's that's really, it's kind of a, it's kind of a fun thing. And I think that, among all the things I never thought would come out of this project, that growth for every author who's been involved in it has been, I think, most astonishing. As as a creature, authors tend to be pretty egocentric, um, selfish little bastards. <laughs> because we're all going, no, my idea is the best idea, and it is the brightest shining star in the universe, and that is what it is. Um, and so to then get into a world where you're playing in a sandbox with seven and growing, um, you very quickly realize that not only is your star not the brightest one in the universe, but it's actually made brighter by the other people's interactions. So it's it's really rewarding. It's really cool. And it never was a thing I would have thought about before. It's very, very unusual, too, because, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of collaborations where it, it ends up being where one person comes in and kind of steals all the thunder or you've got people fighting over, like, no, I want it to go this way or I want it to go that way. But this the way this thing is kind of gelled, like, surprisingly quickly, it's mm-hmm. just been, like, you know, probably like one of the most rewarding aspects of it, because I, I think just that having stripping away that kind of sense of, you know, solo ownership right away. I think people kind of got you kind of come into it with a very clear expectation. OK, like I'm going to create this character, but then someone else is going to use them. And sometimes that's been the fun of it is like seeing what someone else does with your characters. Yeah, it feels like this is sort of the in anywhere where there's a larger universe, right? These sort of feel like some of the ta- the tactical hurdles that you have to. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, things like Star Wars come to mind, right? Where you've got obviously sort of the the original source material, right? Which is the the trilogies, and then you have the trilogy of which I will not speak, 
the that was that was the second pass and then i know how, i know how brandon i know how brandon feels about some of this and then the other trilogy that some people will speak of and other people it makes them very angry but speak uh, of them. i may not speak well but i will speak of um them. but um but then you know it created obviously also a ton of ancillary right material right like in the what they would call I think, the expanded universe but but you have but again the idea of um like what's canon right like this idea of canon yeah. um so that I, I, and, and again in a project where you're talking about this ecosystem where everything has to operate you know internally when when authors do so two questions one um is there like a virtual cork board, right? Where it, people have referential material, right? Where they know if they're going to dive in, they understand like if, if again, a character exists and there's a framework there that they know if they're, you know, the framework exists and what they need to operate in. And if they want to go new places, it's great, but obviously don't blow up. It's to me, it sounds a lot like improv, right? It's like, yes. And right. Like you, you oh, can't, sure. you can't go do something that where the, another author or that goes, wait, what did you just do to my, like to my character? What, what's going on? So first of all, do people that write for you, do they just know it now because everyone's in it? Or do you have a place where you sort of go, here's the framework. And then two, like, what's the editorial process, right? Do you guys as Mm -hmm. founders like go, okay, you know, let's look at the story you've put together and see if we see those gaps. And then let's, okay, do we go through drafts where we say, okay, well, that's probably a direction we, you know, or we miss something here or there's a, there's a continuity problem or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So the answer to all that, in short, is yes. Uh, but if one of the things that is essential to any collaboration is information. So if everyone has all the details, and that's actually been an interesting hurdle to cross too, and I'll, I'll get into that in a second, but um, in all of our audition processes, so the way that tends to work for us is someone goes, hey, here's some, you know, I'm interested in writing with you guys, or I'm, I have um, some chops and I want to be a part of that project where we've reached out and said the same our first step is okay give us something that you've written and let us take a look at it and see if it if it works stylistically and so on and then our second step is okay give us something written in the world right once they've done that given us the thing that's written in the world we'll open up all of our reference material and there's probably five or six documents that have either a running list of characters and like the deep backstory on those um in fact, you're going to see some of that stuff come out here in um, in the month of December. It should be right about now, um, where we're going to have a character named Alton Weatherly going through kind of reading his dossiers on different characters. And, and you're going to get some of that behind the scenes look at things. But so there's a running character list um, that gives their their full you know fact check bio birthday age up to date with whatever major thing happened in whatever um most recent story you also have a character list and then um some behind the scenes sort of uh secret sauce information on that finally we've got a reference doc for all of our ideas so there's a whole slew of just random snippets of thought or random lines of dialogue or whatever that we've then dropped into a single document that everyone can pull from. Because although I have, maybe I came up with the idea, I put it out onto this document. One of the coolest parts about um, the project and about the human brain in general is the idea of incubation. You will have an idea that you put out there and it 
sort of take seed in your brain and it will incubate as you think and as you dream and as you sleep and all that stuff, it develops on its own. And when you pick it up again, you go, oh, shit, I didn't know what I was going to do with this before, but now I understand what I'm going to do with this. And so anyone has the ability in our writing group to pick that up and run with it. And that's been that's been very cool. Um, to your second point about the editing, um, it the, the stipulation is it has to go past two editors before it goes out, one of which has to be either Brandon or I, um, because we're still um, – what's the master and the commander right you 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 get this kind of relationship where we um the captain and the xo yeah there you go we run the ship ultimately so um we kind of have to take gentle hands and steering things one way or the other and um there have been some situations in some stories where we've been like that doesn't work you can't do that or uh the opposite of that has been, hey, could you do this with that? Because if you do this thing, it opens up these other possibilities for those other people. And that could take the whole thing in a really interesting direction. Um, and that's that's worked out really well. In fact, one of the ones that uh, it has worked best in is um, a story by J.D. Ramsey called Dead End. And it's this three-part story talking about a girl who comes back in the town to deal with um, sort of all the trappings that come with the death of a family member. Um, her mom dies and she has to come in and, and deal with, you know, the house and the remains and all the rest of the stuff. Well, that sets off kind of her own uh, un, unfinished past. And it was going to end one way. And we asked um, Jordan, who's the author, can we have you end it this way? instead of the way you were thinking of, because if you end it this way, now it opens up this other thing. And in fact, we're ending season one on, um, sort of the a story that picks up from the aftermath of that dead end. So it, it opens so many other doors and having people who have that willingness is, is really nice. Yeah. The name ends up being very ironic because even though it's called dead end, it kind of opened up a lot of, you know, new road yeah. for us. <laughs> uh, you know, thankfully so. But that's been the again, that's one of the cool things about the project is sometimes you get an assist from somebody like like out of the blue and you go, oh, OK, I hadn't thought about that. But, man, that, that gives me a lot to work with. Yeah, it feels like maybe curators curators is the right word as Ooh, opposed to good, yeah. Yeah, very yeah. much. So, so you're, you know, you have to you're curating, you know, so obviously a museum could display anything, but there is someone ultimately and there's not that there's less value in the things that aren't displayed. It's just more about mm-hmm. what makes sense. Right. With the exhibit. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's really about just it's not so much as like, well, this is good or this is bad. It's just like this fits and this doesn't quite fit. So, I mean, that's yeah, you're really kind of it, especially like the first year was interesting because like we we set up these very loose guidelines. So it was kind of like we didn't really know exactly what the thing was going to be. We just kind of said, OK, it mostly everything needs to be in the same small town. Um, you're pretty flexible on genre, like, you know, no zombie apocalypse stuff or any of that kind of thing. But, um, and everybody kind of kept it, you know, relatively focused in a, in a, at least like in a certain direction, kind of going on those same kind of small, small town, Southern Gothic type of tropes. And as it's, as we're kind of finishing up, you know, what we're calling season one or volume one, and then we're kind of heading into volume two or season two, 
Whereas like we got a lot of stories in the works, like you can kind of start to see the thing crystallizing where now everybody's like, okay, I kind of see where we're going now. And where it feels like we have to, ex- we don't have to explain as much like people. Cause okay, we, we see the vibe we're working with. We kind of like, okay, we know the, if we're all artists working on the same mural, we all kind of know the color palette now. And we kind of know the grant, the schemes we're working on. And it's been really cool to watch that develop. And especially if we, if we get to keep going forward with it to like watch it. Cause like, it's cool to watch that kind of uh, synergy start taking place or sometimes we're not even like actively discussing things, but then we all kind of start arriving to like similar conclusions. Well, this needs to happen and then this needs to happen. And then I'm going to do this and Oh, well, if you're doing that, then I can go do this thing over here that I really wanted to do, but I kind of didn't know a way to get into it. But now that you've helped me and it's kind of like the kind of just each like all the, everybody starts kind of like, you know, like the, uh, you know, like everyone eats and like if, okay, well, if you don't use this piece, well, I can use it and, you know, or, or vice versa. So. And also for those of you that um, are disappointed when Clayton said that, you know, there's no zombie apocalypse, <laughs> that is not to say that oftentimes in this world that we don't venture occasionally into the fantastical or the phenomenal or the uh, supernatural. Oh, for- <laughs> For sure. Oh, we. I dare say we're almost. We're on the verge of like establishing our own mythology. I mean, granted, we've we've borrowed from like some various other places, but I think Clayton kind of came out of the out of the gates, so to speak, and really, <laughs> that's like he kind of set us up to go. Oh, this well played, is, man. We're, we're making something new here. Mm, well played. Uh, when it, <laughs> yeah. So what. That actually brings up an interesting point, and it's a point that I have some. Um, maybe you get into the, the philosophical uh, debates about, and it it personally for me it bothers me when a story um, doesn't allow for wiggle room. I want in all of my fiction the ability as an audience member to interpret what just happened, unless it's something that's. You know, take uh, Lord of the Rings, for example. Lord of the Rings, there is no interpreting. Gandalf <laughs> blasted this shit out of that bridge. It just is what happened. Um, but when you take things into something that is meant to be um, set in, quote unquote, the real world, I want something to have the ability for me to decide, was that mystical or was that, you know, um, kind of mass hallucination or whatever. And I think that gives a lot more... Um, it makes it interesting when something is a little bit ambivalent, right? So to, to your point about um, the gods are always at the gates, which is a story that I wrote and uh, goes over the idea that in this small town, there's these uh, group of people um, of which you play uh, one of the sort of the, the head guy, right? Um, Jeff Hightower or no, Greg, Greg. Greg. Hightower. Yeah. Cause uh, Jeff with a G is a, uh, is the big guy. Um, but in that story, these moonshiners have started making moonshine that, uh, makes you hallucinate and makes you see some crazy shit. And, um, so the story opens up with this guy up a pole, uh, naked up a pole, Phil, poor Phil, uh, (laughs) thinking that everything's on fire and that, um, there are monsters out there. And it's been, it's been interesting because, um, the more people that I get to read that it's a pretty even split on people. And it almost is very telling of what their, like their history is <laughs> where they've experimented because 
it's an even split on whether or not someone's like, oh, he's clearly tripping balls. Or they're like, wait, this is like, there's some crazy shit going on here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of fun stuff out there. We do get into the uh, the supernatural. We do get into maybe the um, the the crazy. Uh, it's all it's all a lot of fun. It's all a lot of fun. Yeah, there's a and there's and that's obviously been you know that's there's there's a myriad of you know I think specifically about television shows because I like that word that you know it's that is this is it real. It's like where it's done where it's is it it's plausible or not. Like I think yeah. about like the early X Files, right? Like certainly mm. they planted their flag after that are really established and you learn that in their world this stuff is actually real, right? Mm-hmm. But for the first few seasons it was this idea of you've got the you know, you've got the true believer and the guy that thinks that all this stuff and you've got the hard science person that thinks it's all explainable and it's this mm-hmm. push and pull between the two main characters about you know, and you don't really know. It's like, which, which is it? It's like, it doesn't, you know, and again, eventually I I feel like that's where the show kind of went off the rails. Like that, you know, it's like, well, okay, yeah. well, eventually it became like, God damn it, Scully. How many fucking times do you have to see aliens? <laughs> that it's aliens. Yeah. But part of the fun of it, you know, was, was that sort of exploration of like, and you as the, as the viewer going, well, who's right. There's a yeah. show that came that's very recent called evil, which I don't know if any of you guys have seen, which is a I little, have. A little uh, bit of a rip, but right, it's the idea is the same thing. It's a there's a priest, right, and then there's a clinical psychologist, and it's and they these strange things start to happen. And again, I think they kind of hint towards it's really a thing, you know, like. But you've effectively got the 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 person going, these are things, and the other person going, no, they're not. They're fictions of the brain, and I can tell you why. And you know, they get at it, right? Which is so the thematically, I think. Good job of like kind of playing that back and forth where you get that kind of like plausible deniability to it. But it's and and that's been kind of the thing here where you kind of have to give just enough to kind of hang your hat on something, but not enough to where that if you're still kind of in, you know, scully mode, you can kind of go, nah, I'm telling you, it's they're just hallucinating or this is just somebody wanting to believe something because, you know, they have some childhood trauma, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Yeah, but there's definitely an art form to that. Yeah. And again, it proves to be, you know, obviously fertile ground. I think, too, what's interesting, and I don't know, I'm certainly not a, a writer uh, of, of fiction. Right. Um, but. Well, you tell me this is more of a question um, to me. The blank page is always very intimidating. Right. Mm-hmm. Just the idea of uh, not only a blank page, but a blank framework. You know, it's way more daunting to be like, because most people would say like unlimited choices means unlimited possibilities, right? But staring at a blank page and going, oh, okay, well, there's a, again, not to draw back on another reference, but just I think everyone gets this. There's a, um, uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there's a group yeah. of sort of mystical, you know, uh, law enforcement, um, monk-ish, uh, you know, that are going to do this. And then there's an imperial, there's bad guys and they've, there's a trade, you know, federation that's become yeah. an evil empire. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, and then there's a forest moon with furry things running around. And then there's, you, you know what I mean? You've <laughs> got, you've got all these things and that, that, and, and I give mad props for that, but that's tough. But I, I don't know. So as writers on the other hand, it's like, okay, look, it's not a blank page anymore, right? Here's, we're going right. to give you a backdrop and we're going to give you some characters and you can create new characters, but if you, but you need to, it feels like that may be 
I don't know. Do you think as a writer, I, mean, I would assume that has its style of the writer. Like some people probably prefer the blank page. I just think the blank page is really difficult. So I don't know if your writers would say, oh my gosh, like this is great because I've at least got, you know what I mean? I've at least got yeah. some, some, some clay that's already been formed and I can work with my piece instead of just this lump of something. And then I, you know, that I, you know, of nothing that I turn into something. That's, that's exactly right. And that's really why we developed the project to begin with is because that, uh, what do they call it? Called page blind. When you are sitting in front of a blank page, it that infinite possibilities is ultimately limiting. Like you're, you just unless you're one of these miracle writers who can just crank out work. And even those guys are going to have you know shit days. But it's difficult to create in a vacuum. And as soon as you have other things that you can reflect off of, and other things that give the space uh, definition, it is much, much easier to put something in reality. There's a really cool scene in The Matrix where for that first moment, you're in that blank white space, you know, the loading zone or whatever. Your eye, it, it was so disorienting because your eye doesn't have anything to give scale, doesn't have anything to give dimension. You don't know how and what and where. And then as soon as the person goes onto the page, oh, well, that starts to feel a little more real. And then, bang, in come all the, you know, guns. I need lots of guns. <laughs> in come all the things, right? Now I understand and my brain has a place to wrap around it. And so from Garfield's Crossing, what we've done, and I'm actually interested to see how this continues as it as it grows. But what we've done is, is give that framework, give someone uh, their imagination a place to grab onto because if you look at any loved piece of fiction out there, invariably within God, a, a split second, I've got to imagine as soon as someone has read it, there is immediately fan fiction. People are going to put a thing out there because fan fiction, we just we love it. Everyone's going to write the as much as I hate it is going to write the Twilight fan fiction, right? <laughs> or they're going to go out and they're going to do, um, you know, the Captain Picard fan fiction. It, it's all going to happen. So we took that and said, well, let's use it. Everyone's got the story. Let, let empower them. Let them come in and write the story in that framework. Give them the invitation and, and people will come to it. What I'm interested in in the future is that there's going to come a point where there's going to be enough stories because right now we're at 17 stories uh, by the end of the, of the first season. It's going to be 19 stories. Um, and we've already got mm, probably another double that ready to to go in our brains um where does it cross the line for someone coming into it either a new audience member or a new writer where they have this body of work they have to chew through just to start to work on it uh, i think for the audience member it's much easier you can just come in and read a story and then you can go and find whatever the hell stories you want to find from there because it's an anthology but for the writer you got to be on it. Like you, you got to sort of have an encyclopedic knowledge or at least be really good at go back, going back and reference to make sure you're staying internally consistent. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So let's talk about the, so we've obviously covered the Genesis a bit and how this has come to be. Um, we're obviously now operating in a medium at this very moment of podcasting where you've got now with technology and what's out there, a way to present things, you know, without, 
um, gatekeepers, right? Sort of the the thing I've always said that's amazing to me about the podcast universe that's unique is that, and when I say podcast, I mean effectively about audio content, right? And now even yeah. video content, if you think about YouTube and these sorts of things, right? Where, you know, it used to be if you wanted to create and make it mass available, right, to people, there were gatekeepers right like it's like you had to go through a lot of you had to go radio you know which is big radio companies or television which is networks and big production houses or music you know there's record labels and distribution you know what i mean and these sorts of things and now we're in this sort of wild westy sort of thing where you can create the content right yourself and then there are places Mm -hmm. you can put it like where i host this thing right and i can get it out in front of whoever i want um to do, which is great because it's not, you know, and certainly those traditional media still exist, right? You can absolutely have a studio come to you and say, we want to put you on a primetime show on CBS or Fox or not. But I mean, at what point did you guys go, Oh, this, these could be, you know, again, I don't know if teleplay is the right word or audio play is the right word, but, Mm -hmm. um, audio drama has become the popular term as of late. Yeah, so so d- is that something that was like around from the jump, or did you guys just look around and go, man, it would be really fun if we turn these into performance pieces? No, I think, gosh, I'm trying to remember the specific thing that kicked it off. There was some, I think Brandon, oh, no, you, I, sick, yeah, you recognize yeah, actually, something. Yeah, because I remember we initially it was just we're going to write the stories and we're going to put in a, an original piece of artwork with them. So, And then like I think very you know, like after a few stories, you thought like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we like turn these into like audio books and released them like a podcast? Because, I mean, it was just it started off just me and Clayton and then, you know, us reading this as well. We kind of got to this other story um, written by James David Patrick and called uh, Moses Jones and the Meal Ticket. And, well, neither one of us felt that our voice was particular. You know, neither one of us, you know, me and Clayton being, you know, gringo as hell um, were <laughs> were particularly suited to read this story that sounded like it was being narrated by a, you know, an, an old, a middle-aged black man, probably some somewhere up North. So we, um, Clayton had a coworker, um, uh, wanted to get into voice acting, uh, Mr. Myron Marquis Abernathy, who's got a tremendous voice and is actually came on and his ability to kind of read different characters and kind of give them a unique sound to their voice like right away, we're like, oh, wow, listen to that. Like that's, mm-hmm. man, imagine what that would sound like if we could get a whole bunch of different actors. And especially that particular story, like the what's it's it's basically one guy in a, at a night in a club kind of going and just making the rounds, talk, having like different conversations. So it was very dialogue heavy. And then when Myron kind of came in and did that, we're kind of like, oh, OK, that's that's something to think about. And then shortly thereafter. I contacted one of my old friends from college, Melissa Lowe, who is uh, as an actress, and we had her come in and do um, J.D. Ramsey's story, Dead End. And then she started, and, and of course, you know, Melissa, being a pro, comes in and just starts killing these huge, like she'll, like where me and Clayton, like, I mean, obviously we can read, of course, but like when you have to get on a mic and start kind of like acting stuff out, like it's taking us a lot longer to get through like an entire story. Then, you know, say like Melissa Lowe, who's a trained actress, comes in there and just starts blowing through these huge chunks of story like like it's not there. And we're like, oh, wow. OK, so that's what an actress does. 
and like, okay, this is it, it kind of like, again, planting more of those seeds. And as we, and the deeper we get into it and the more of the characters we start doing, I think at one point we incorporated um, a story where I read part of it and Melissa Lowe read another part of it. So then you start getting the dialogue going on like, oh man, this just, this, this just starts to start to kind of, this feels right. And it just kind of like it, that, that again, once that seed gets planted, like you just can't let go of it. And then suddenly you start hearing the, the stories developing in your brain. Like, oh man, what would be so cool to hear kind of like, you know, like somebody playing Abernathy and someone playing Abe or someone like hearing that, hearing those conversations with different people, like in, uh, inside the hot wheels diner. And it just like, <laughs> it, it's like, we just couldn't let go. Of it. And eventually we just decided, you know, I think we've got enough material here and we've made enough contacts. We should try to take this leap. Yep. At, at the same time we were going through those, uh, and having that exploration of our own, I was getting really, really deep into, um, a lot of audiobooks. I'd been doing a lot of driving at the time, um, for work. And so I was passing the time with um, Audible, right? So I'd get on there and I'd listen to um, all the books I swore that I was going to listen to or read and, and never would because I didn't have the time. Uh, well, long hours on the road, you have nothing but time. So I, you know, I went through a bunch of these different audiobooks and was really impressed by the voice actors. But then you'd come across ones that would be full voice cast. And so many of them added so much to the story. And then you had about uh, another dozen or so for the you know the ones that were good that were just garbage i mean uh, there's it blows my mind but there's a rendition of dune where oh, no. it's full voice cast it's a what now i said oh no uh-huh <laughs> uh it's full voice cast but they they change out the baron harkonnen two separate times with different voice actors oh oh, oh. and you're like what how how? Right. How did the estate let you do that, first of all? Second of all, how did the production company come in and go, what? So listening to those things and then listening to a bunch of podcasts like Bubble and The Message and um, Life After, you know, all these these other podcasts that are out there, I'm, I'm sitting here going to myself, you know, uh, we've been editing our books on tape version of this thing together for a while, and I'm I'm pretty confident that we're pretty good at it. Um, and we've started to develop our own acting ability and we started to make all these contacts. I think we could do better. I think there's a, there's a, a whole big market out there where we can, you know, these things are not bad, but we can do better for our audiences than what these other things are on the market. And so that just, you know, it, it, it gave me just enough of that nudge to go, Brandon, you want to do this thing? Let's, let's like reach out and see what other actors we can, we can get in here. Um, and that came into, you know, Garfield's crossing reboot. Um, so that's where we're at right now. Yeah. That's also one of the, you know, again, just sort of to me, the tremendous things about just the, the idea of user created, you know, normal, normal air quotes, normal people, you know, stuff is, is, the idea that the boldness of saying, you know, Hey, I, I can do that. Like, you know, again, I think in the past with all these gatekeepers and these sort of ivory tower, you know, Oh, well, if I'm ever going to create, I mean, not only are there massive fiscal barriers, but there are, you know, massive equipment barriers and technical mm-hmm. knowledge barriers that have all just sort of disintegrated. Right. As these, yep. as I sit here with a device in front of me that I'm using that's effectively a, you know, a broad, you know, a, a, a recording studio in a box that lets me not necessarily have to be overly technical and 
produce things that sound right. Um, and, and people getting past that mental leap of, of, you know, it's one of the things that to me is unique to the music world, right? As someone that came up through the music business and, and, you know, as, as, and played music is with art, especially in creative things, it's funny. And this is probably true for other areas, but, um, uh, there's certainly no, there's certainly value in, you know, putting in your 10,000 hours and, mm-hmm. you know, doing all that stuff, not to say that people get better, but talent is also something that, you know, runs across the entire spectrum. And I've seen musicians that absolutely melted my face, right? Like, I mean, and, and I don't, and that's not just from a fan standpoint, but I mean, it is, but also looking at it technically, like I've watched people that can play or sing and they're just struggling just like, me being terrible playing in a bar at two o'clock in the morning, right? Like it is, it's, and I'm like, how is this person not Dave Grohl, right? Or someone like that. And those people are out there, right? In spades. And the fact that now there are outlets is really cool. But also, I mean, I think if you're listening to this and you're at least in the spec of, you know, Clayton and Brandon's audience that hasn't heard them from this perspective before that this reached or it's my audience, you know, or whatever, you know, I always try to encourage people to like every now and then seek out some content that's not on ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, you know, albums that were not produced by Capitol records or you know what I'm saying? Or films that weren't made by Warner brothers. Right. I'm telling Mm -hmm. you, there are things out there that you will, enjoy immensely like to me it's the thing of like hey man instead of applebee's one night why don't you go to the place down the street that the f- local people own right and there's yeah. only one location right and and yeah. and and the food there's a decent chance the food's better right and and it's just it's like there are ways for you to go it doesn't have to be mass marketed and mass produced Agreed. to be good you know what i mean well and and, and almost to the Almost by its nature, it will be. Uh, this is going to sound overly pretentious. Uh, it will be life changing, because in the same sense that if you're if you're only consuming, if you only live in the same town your entire life, you will have zero concept for anything outside that. Right? That's what breeds xenophobia, the fear of the of the other. Right? As soon as you start branching out outside that, you're getting things that warrant. Um, marketing equation to death. They weren't going through the standard Disney process. So you're going to get things that are going to be not only uh, better, but they're going to be different. And so you're going to get a whole new perspective on life. They're going to show you films that you never would have considered. It'll be from different cultures that never would have, uh, you know, their thought processes would have been completely different. You look at a French film versus an American film and the psychology of sort of the, the French in general, are it's going to come through. You just can't get away from that. And I'm not saying that this is like you're required to go and enjoy foreign films. But as Sean, to your point, if you get outside the norm, you know, you jump on Bandcamp and go look for something in a genre you already know and you already love, uh, but is was created outside of that incubator that is our mass marketing it's gonna feel that much better get out and enjoy your yourself some shawarma at the tiny little place down the road you know well no it's funny you mentioned uh gatekeepers earlier and i think that's that's one of the you know the 
cool things with the internet. Cause like, I, I like, I was back when I was trying to be a musician and I remember in college, I ran into a lot of people that, like you said, that you, you'll run into these random people that you just can melt your face. And you're like, why is this guy not on somebody's record label right now? And it could be a thing like, okay, maybe he just doesn't have the contacts or maybe he doesn't have the, the people around him. And like, there's like mm-hmm. a million different reasons, but then suddenly the internet comes along and now that, it's just like, okay, like, okay, can you afford a, a good enough computer and a good enough mic where you can just put it in front of your thing, put it, record your guitar, put a drum beat behind it, and, you know, maybe mock up a bass line. And then it's just like, okay, well, is, if your tools are good enough, then really the only limit is you. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, um, and especially in concern to writing now, any day, anybody can go publish a blog. Like you can go write. And there's literally nothing from stopping you from getting your stuff out there. And it's just a matter of what audience can you find. That was also one of the things that kind of inspired this is like uh, when we like we started Garfield's Crossing, like in like we launched it in 2017. And then shortly thereafter, thus, you know, like thereafter launched Novus Opera, the company that runs it with that idea. It's like, oh, I mean, well, there's there's all this talent out there. It would be cool if there was like someone that can like help shepherd that along and maybe mm-hmm. guide it to like the right channels. And that was kind of our our one of the things that quickly came out of this is like saying, yeah, there's, there's lots, we all mean like, you know, musicians, know musicians, writers, no writers. So like, you know, people out there that can do this. It's just a matter of like, Hey, what if we just kind of set up this sandbox and let people come play as long as we're yeah. like curating it and maybe running like kind of some, some, the basic business aspects of it, like hosting the website or, you know, hosting the podcast and just kind of let like now suddenly you can, you can kind of marshal all this extra talent that you know is out there. And it's just like, like as long as somebody, cause like, you know, not, I think that's one of the things, the weird thing with artists, like they got people who can create that art, but they're not always the best at managing it or selling it or kind of, you know, they're, they're oh, so for sure. focused on the creation of it. Like they don't think about the other aspects of it of like, Oh, I need to go out there and get this in front of, you know, somebody who can, shotgun it all over the internet or go put it in front of like a hundred or a thousand other people. And it, it, it's so, a, it's a, an extension of the Kevin Smithism, right? With the, there are no gatekeepers. Um, we really wanted to take it a step further and go, we want to be good shepherds. We want to take all the, all the struggle and all the strife and all the things that we've, you know, the, the thousand hours, the 10,000 hours of learning new skills. We wanted to be able to take that and help enable people. Cause there's a ton of people out there who's going to poo poo what you're going to do. Uh, and there's really only the handful that are going to go, no, do that. Get out, go. You want to make spaghetti art? Fuck it. Do it. Get it out there. <laughs> yeah, no uh, doubt. Somebody, somebody's going to like that. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, a great example, like the intro music for this podcast, right? Like that's a buddy of mine. Um, you know, did that himself, played all the instruments mm-hmm. like, and it might not be your bag, but He's one of the most talented guys, you know, I mean, again, just even like much like writing stories, right? The idea of, of composing, right? Where it's not like you're, you're creating something sort of start to finish. And, you know, he's always one of those guys. I'm just like, I don't know how you're not famous, man. Like, I, you know, you're, and that's, you know, and thankfully he, get, he, he lent me, you know, some of his art for my thing, but, um, those guys are, are out there. Um, so this actually, you know, pivots nicely i mean i know you guys sort of went the route of 
you know, of, of looking at, I mean, again, not as we, is it, if it sounded like we were bagging on mass marketing, we certainly were not. Um, th- there are, you know, it, it, again, at this point, it's nice that there are lots of outlets. And I think anytime you have a creative piece and you, you know, here's the thing, there's nothing wrong with wanting your stuff to be consumed, right. And mm-hmm. wanting it to be out in a, in a, in a, in a larger, you know, sort of distribution pattern, right. Where more people can get at it. And I think, you, you know, you can, now there are, and again, even with podcasts, which this, I guess, didn't exist 10 years ago, there are people that are looking at this kind of content for, you know, for, you know, to promote, right? And to put out there in, in like the Warner Brothers, Fox, ABC, CBS fashion. There's not as many places, right? It's a different, you yeah. know, so it's growing. But um, a lot of times if you can't avail yourself to those sorts of things and you look at other ways to do it, which I think you guys are doing, um, and the big event coming up is effectively a Kickstarter, right? Where you guys are looking at, um, at having some resources available to you to be able to not only take the talent you've used, which sort of did this for you guys, right. And because they love the project and all that sort of stuff, but like making it into a more, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, right. Um, Scaling not, it up. Yeah, scale it up and not in more of it where you're structuring it now to be where it can be more consistent, it can be a wider, you can have wider reach, you know, those sorts yeah. of things. Um, can you talk about wh- where you're at now and what you're trying to do with the with the the Kickstarter and, and the just the future of the of the project? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, it, it went through a couple different things here. Like we, we absolutely looked out at mass media for uh, distributorship because ultimately the biggest barrier for anything and this is becoming you know the gatekeepers are starting to show up in in podcasting less meaningful gatekeepers but gatekeepers nonetheless and that's just by virtue of scale and by virtue of uh, how much is available on the market so you look at people like uh, iheart radio or spotify or um, uh, rooster teeth actually has a whole distributorship uh, that comes out through them turner any of these big media conglomerates um, who I guess now Rooster Teeth is part of AT&T, which is part of Turner, which is part of the Warner Media, all that whole thing. Um, they have reach, right? They have the distributor thing. They can get it out to a huge existing audience. Um, and so we went initially and we did ask, hey, here's this product. We went through and did a, a whole lookbook and, and a bunch of uh, marketing material and had lots of very long conversations with um, a couple different media groups. And each of them went, this is fantastic we don't know what to do with it because <laughs> it's new it's very it's something that really doesn't exist in the market right now you get a lot of genre pieces you get a lot of um 20 or 30 minute uh stories and they still are are stuck and limited by their their equation of um and by their data of hey people listen for 20 to 30 minutes and sean you and i've talked about this before with podcasts people self-serialize Oh, you, you got to your destination. What happens? You turn off your car, your podcast pauses, you get back in your car. It picks up exactly where you left off. So there's, I can stop listening when I want to stop listening. I'm doing dishes. Great podcast playing. Uh, I stopped doing the dishes. The podcast stops. It's not a, not a big deal. So, uh, went to there, they said, we don't really know what to do with it. Um, and now we're to your point earlier going and we're going to do it all kickstarter we're we're embracing yet further the collaborative nature the communal nature of what the project is and on uh the 30th of november which probably this is going to be uh in the future now or in the past 
um, we're launching a Kickstarter to fund the project, um, get out there and pay our our authors, pay our actors. Um, the more money we get past that initial goal is going to go to uh, additional music, uh, you know, getting more you know, full-blown scoring on things because although Brandon's a fantastic musician, he's one dude. And so trying to score the entire thing, there's going to be a certain limitation of what we can go through and do. I'm going to go through and I'm, I'm doing all the sound design uh, for Garfield's Crossing. And again, I'm pretty friggin' good at it, but I'm one dude. Yeah, 19 uh, hours worth of material. Um, <laughs> it requires a considerable more amount of time to produce. Yeah, per per episode, post-production, for sound design alone, you're looking at about 12 hours. Um, so one, 1 to 12 ratio is uh, is significant. And that doesn't involve any of the editing, which is about four hour per episode, um, or any of the directing that happened beforehand. I mean, there's a ton of time that goes into each of these episodes. Uh, and I think we get a, an equivalent product out of it, right? I think our production value is much higher than most. Um, you listen to a lot of things that have just real shit sound design or real shit um, sound leveling. And so it's real mushy. It's hard to hear either on your earphones or in your car. There's no consistency. And that's one of the things that we work really hard on. Uh, Brandon has a habit of going through and listening to a thing four separate times on four different medias just to make sure that we understand what the sound is on each of those things. And we tweak it in between. So uh, we're getting all that stuff in there. And then once we've gone through and we've done those, um, that funding and we've gotten as much as we can, you know, we're hoping that additional funding is going to come in that we're going to be able to pay for distribution, right? Where now we can, uh, throw a bunch of money into ads that are going to push the project that much further out and get that many more people to enjoy it. Um, and it's, fuck, it's so exciting. I, I can't tell you the number of things that we've had to learn or do that never, ever, ever, ever in my life would have I done uh, without this project. Um, shit, I had my first graphic design piece, and I'm pretty freaking proud of it. Yes, he designed <laughs> a, a very cool hoodie that if you're willing to donate it as a, a certain level, uh, you will get to own a piece of uh, Mr. Romero's uh, fine graphic design work. <clears throat> uh and, and actually with that, so with the, with Kickstarter, and we really do hope that everyone's going to go, you know, go on to kickstarter.com, uh, look up Garfield's Crossing. It's the only one in there. Um, or we'll have a link uh, that we can give Sean here. Yeah, I'll uh, include the link in the description to the podcast so you can so go. Gracious. Yeah, you can find it in the description to track it down. Um, we're, in addition to that stuff, where you can be able to go in and, and um, pick up. Uh, rewards and gear and uh, benefits through your donations, we're also going to be doing um, contests. So from the first week of December all the way through to the very end of December, which is when the, the Kickstarter um, closes, each week we're going to have a different competition. So one week you're going to be able to get um, a signed copy of the Garfield's Crossing Volume 1 with all the authors will have signed it. Um, another week, it's going to be the Garfield's Crossing crew hoodie, which is pretty freaking awesome. Piece of art by um, our buddy uh, Jorge uh, Velez is going to be out there. Um, and then we'll have my piece, which is the Garfield's Crossing uh, founding families hoodie. Uh, that is typically it's only going to be available for people who donate 200 bucks, and there's only 50 of them available. But for the people who win this contest, um, and it's just, you know, the standard like share follow sort of contests um we're gonna do it all on hashtags it's 
hashtag GC week one, week two, week three, and so on. Um, and then the last uh, reward is going to be you'll get to come to the in-person um, release party in May when we do this all and there's a vaccine for COVID out and <laughs> we're not all dying in the millions. <clears throat> yeah, and, and one thing I will that you mentioned earlier that is that is funny to me about uh you mentioned about self-serializing and the gatekeepers mm-hmm. and stuff and and i and i love the idea again because we've seen it, the the thing about mass media and mass media produces lots of things that i like to consume so i, I mean sure. i'm not you know oh, likewise but the thing that's funny is is that you generally until someone takes a risk right and does something completely differently when it works, the mass media fought. They don't. They're not leading, right? They're they're generally right. because I get it. It's a business. They want to do stuff. They're not generally one to stick their necks out there too far. It's generally, late adopters. I mean, it's the the kind of the thing that the, the thing that makes Garfield's Crossing cool is also the thing that makes it hard for them to sell from a business point because they want something that they know has already sold before. Whereas with us, we're not we're not a we're not strictly an anthology even though we call it that we're not you're kind of your your typical kind of you know single you know following a single character or a single you know two or three characters like this is you know any like one one week you know the main character could be the supporting character in this story and then vice versa in the next story and it's like all the stuff that kind of makes us different is also the stuff that like I think a big company like these like the big names we all mentioned before they look at us and go, that's really cool, but I don't know how to pitch that. And even with me, who's like I've been having to like do ads like it's kind of been tricky like, OK, like, well, who do we really compare ourselves to? Because, mm-hmm. OK, yeah, we got like with TV it can be like. Stranger Things or like recently, uh, yeah, like Lovecraft Country or like the Twilight Zone. But then again, it's like a little of little of one and a little bit of the other. And I think it's right. one of those things that until enough people can like see it or hear it and kind of wrap their brains around it. I, I would I was actually thinking about this the other day. It'd be kind of cool as if this, this thing actually were able, able to really land with a with a, you know, hard enough that people would be like, oh, yeah, this is going to be like uh, – someone's like, oh, this is going to be like a Garfield's Crossing project where it's – suddenly you get this. It's kind of oh, like – Oh, give me, give me the household name. Give me the household name. Well, sure. I mean, no, think about it. It's funny because like, actually because you mentioned Star Wars earlier. Like that's the only other thing I can really think of like where you, it's basically – it's all about the, ex, the, uh, the expanded universe. Whereas like now uh, somebody like because I know there's like you were talking about there's all these – the different camps within the Star Wars universe. You got the uh, original trilogy people. You got the prequel people, you got the sequel people. Now you've got like the the Mandalorian, you know, hardcore folks. And then you got the people who are into like all the animated series. And what's cool about Star Wars, like as a franchise, is there's, there's really, it's big enough for all of those people. It's mm-hmm. like you can actually go and just pick out the stuff that you like. And if you're okay, if you're not a fan of the sequel trilogy, okay, fine. You've got the Mandalorian, you've got the original trilogy, you've got the animated stuff. Or maybe you like the prequels and you're not into the, it's like, but. That's the thing is like it, it can be if you establish that world, um, you know, like where, again, it's you've broadened it enough to where now there's room for different sandboxes, kind of like in that same playground. If you want to you know, kind of extend the metaphor like it, it, it it's kind of like now, like a lot of different people can come and kind of hang their hats, like where someone came into Garfield's Crossing. Well, I like the gods are at the gates. I'm not so much into like the skull and the saber. Or you may have someone go, oh, well, I like the uh, 
I like the more the Moses Jones type story. Well, we'll have those. And then, and then maybe you're into like the supernatural stuff and maybe you're not, but that was one of the things we kind of strove for when we were creating it, that there could be like different areas of it, just like different areas of a town. Okay. You've got like the rural area or the more, the genteel kind of like, you know, sweet parts of town. And then you got the rough parts of town. And then, you know, it's like kind of creating that universe and setting up where like you can have the different camps existing all in that same, you know, same group. No doubt. And, uh, and, and that's again, back to sort of encouraging people to, you know, go out and give this kind of content a try this in specific, this specifically, but others, the thing that's funny is that you'll also find that what's going to happen is, is that this will, to your point, I think at some point be something that you go, oh, I want that. I mean, I'm not going to call anybody out by name, but uh, uh, two things. I mean, I remember when I started this project of, you know, podcasting, you know, I talked to people that I knew and, you know, they're like, I don't know. I don't listen to, you know what I mean? I don't even know what that is. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm certainly not going to spend any time just listening to people talk. Right. Now it's like it just happened the other day, like on Facebook. It's just like, oh, I finished these three. Does anybody have recommendations for podcasts? And I was like, wait a minute. You told me you didn't. You know what I mean? Like, so <laughs> um, and then the other part of it is to your point about the nature of the content. I mean, I almost to the man, right? Like it, it or, or woman, as the case may be. When I told people I want to do long form and, you know, and, and now it's like all of my podcasts. Other than a couple of short solo ones I did, they're all an hour plus, usually two hour. You know, people were like, you're nuts. No one's going to why? No one's going to listen to that or whatever. It's like, who's got that kind of attention span? And I've said constantly that you are not giving listeners enough credit, right? Like that's you're making the mistake of not giving enough credit to the listener because a the technology will allow you to. Right. To not, you know, it's not like you got to commit to sitting down. It's not like a movie, right? Where you're buying a movie ticket and you're locked into two hours, like you're committing to two hours, right? You can do what you want. But, you know, not to, you know, sort of break my arm, patting myself on the back, but uh, I, people listen to this thing. You know what I mean? And, 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 uh, you know, all along, I just got all these people telling me that no one's, you know, people are just not going to commit to listening to something that's that long. And I just said, I don't believe you. And well, I'm we, gonna... we talked about it like oh with a uh, with a uh, Ben Bolin from iHeartRadio on our uh, podcast and Medias Rest that you were on, like you can be as long as you are good. I mean, they, you got like the novels, like you get like the shorter novels, like The Old Man in the Sea, or then you can get like the mammoth novels, like Infinite Jest. But it's like, okay, how long can you sustain that? And I think it's if you can be good enough for like someone can be good for like 200 pages, and then someone can be good for a thousand pages. Yeah. It's if you can pull that off, then like the people will be there for it. And I think that's, but it's, unfortunately the money people don't always see it that way. They're looking at the metrics versus like, okay, um, like, okay, this movie is like an hour and a half, but like this other movie is like three hours. But yeah, that's a, like a, a taut fast paced three hours versus a kind of slow and plotting hour and a half. So, I mean, really it's it's about what you can put into it. Like if you're a good talker, like you can talk for, you know, two to three hours and people will listen. But if you're kind of, you know, rambly and kind of just not, you know, you're not that witty or whatever. Um, like, yeah, it's going to be hard to listen to that. But if you can be good, like you it's it's again, it's about all like what what can you make out of it, whether it's a short story or a long story or a uh, like a 
a conversation or a piece of music, anything. It's like just how how good can you be? And if, and people will show up for good stuff. And also, as someone who is rambly and not witty, you can even be that and it still be successful. <laughs> um, I don't again, <laughs> credit, sir. Yeah, you uh, <laughs> humility. Um, but uh, but yeah, but but I I just again I I just I encourage you know and and this project and any others, it's like. Seek out seeking out things that are not in the mainstream yet or not, you know, sort of that the commercial powers that be have have touched the sword on their shoulder and said, this is content that we shall, yeah. um, you know, whatever. There's stuff out there and, and, and you, you'll be amazed that one day it'd be great if it's like, oh, this is a thing, right? Like, this is a thing now. And it's not just this idea that was born, you know, it's it's grown because people have have wrap their arms around it and have said, Oh, that's good. And as someone that's read a large chunk of the stories, right. I can say unequivocally, like in the print, right. Like the stories are really good. I mean, I obviously have not heard a completed, you know what I mean? In this iteration, right. Is it in, when it's actually the, the audio play itself. Um, but you know, to me, it's like, you know, it's sort of like scripts, right? Like if the script's good, if the script's no good, you're kind of in a bad spot. If the script's yeah. good, right? You're, you're okay. I mean, there's obviously other things that can fall down, but having, again, my experience being limited and that I know the people that I acted with, right? In the process of doing the thing, like if it's anything like that, they're going to be good, right? Well, uh, and let's, let's turn that around just for a second. Cause, uh, I, I mean, I'm, probably a little self-serving here because i absolutely love your character because i wrote it <laughs> but uh what was your experience with that you know coming in and and getting to be um the the ultimate bad guy yeah who, who ultimately isn't a bad guy he's just uh you know he's his own protagonist yeah well i mean isn't that sort of the actual i mean to me that's sort of a writing technique right the idea that everybody thinks they're right I mean, even, yeah. you know, uh, the, the villain is always the hero of his own story. Absolutely. I mean, you know, to, again, not to beat this reference to death, but, you know, D- Darth Vader felt righteous when he was Darth Vader. Right. Yeah. Like it, it's a it's a great it's a great thing to conceptually think about. I think if you're consuming stories as well. Right. To understand the nuance of mm-hmm. of of character, you know, character development and what people's, you know, not to use a silly crazy but um, what their motivation is right for doing something but yeah it was cool i mean i had my own i mean it's been a long time since i put any thought into um the idea of acting right or the idea of becoming someone and and then or, or and in this case you know just much like a script i mean it's trying to read what you guys wrote and then mm-hmm. and then trying to embody that right but then also you can't have you can't have ultimate i mean no matter how old or developed something is you don't have all the information right you just have the information's on the page and then i think it's incumbent upon you as an actor to try to figure out what the intent of the writer is and then you're going to ultimately have to make some decisions right mm-hmm. on your own right so Believe it or not, for me, like the funnest part about it was not so much the technical coming in and delivering of whatever. It was going, okay, I need to bring this guy to life and I need to do it. And so the person that wrote him goes, that's it. 
Or even in cases when they're like, that's not it. I was thinking this and me go, okay, all right. So I made a choice that wasn't, that didn't hit and then make that adjustment and then try to give the creator what they were looking for. So it's, again, it's very collaborative in that I'm going to be able to do what I want with, with direction, which is what directors do. Right. And (laughs) then, and then make those changes. And then ultimately you end up with, you know, a couple of cooks come out with a great, you know, you hope it's a great cake. So with him, I mean, it's, and I and now I understand the allure, and it's funny now because even when I watch interviews with actors and stuff, because it's been a while, and I can't say that I've ever done anything where I did a lot of like deep character stuff before. Like, I mean, I I've done a couple of little things over the years for small projects people did, or you know, and having been around the radio world, you do some some fun things. But for me, someone that was so far afield of myself, mm-hmm. like the fun thing was getting a chance to sort of explore um, a guy that's, you know, a little bit of a psychopath, like, you know, that to, to put yourself into the shoes of someone that Greg Hightower is, is really fun because he is complicated Mm -hmm. and yet simple (laughs) right is is um in a live has created a reality for himself that is so devolved from actual reality but it's his reality so you have to you have to respect that right yeah and and he's a true believer too so that comes with its own set of yeah so for me like to be honest with you and i guess this is what you i'm assuming this is probably what you want is like i believe it or not like in the process of just trying to get that those scenes together with him yeah. is going is thinking about everything this guy could be mm. right. And all the areas that are just wholly unexplored that would be immensely entertaining. Like, and you know, oh, yeah. just sort of even me just like playing around with crafting some backstory that may not even have at all be what it is. Right. <laughs> but for well, me, actors are part of that storytelling process and we've, and I mean, and, and as you've experienced yourself and like, Cause like we all do the table reads before we actually sat down to record it. And I mean, you've, you've been there, you've heard these conversations, the stuff that comes out sometimes like that's like, Oh wow. Yeah. That's, you know, sometimes we'll change the story accordingly because someone will come up with something that's like, okay. Yeah. So what was this character doing the whole time? Surely they weren't just sitting in the back of the car twiddling their thumbs, you know? And it's like that, like, again, it's cool because, especially for the actor, like that character is, you know, even though they may not be in the scene, they're still doing stuff. Yeah. And, and, and on a larger scale, I mean, you know, every, like you, it's like you're, it's, you're an adult and you're playing pretend, you know, like this is a child, you know, like that's what everyone's done that. Like if you, like if you're, if you haven't as a kid thrown a towel around your neck, you know what I mean? And run around the house pretending you were Superman or put on a tiara and pretended you were Wonder Woman, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Sure. Like, I weep for your childhood, right? Like, those are the things that, you know, as a kid, like, or me, like, this is so crazy, but I'll never forget, like, at some point when I was a kid, my grandfather, I think, got me a bullwhip because I was oh, shit. Indiana Jones, <laughs> right? I was so into Indiana Jones, you know what I mean? Like, I loved those films. And, I mean, I wasn't a child. I mean, I, I was young, but I wasn't like I was four. You know, I think I was 11 or 12 or something. And, you know, I wasn't going to hurt it. You know, again, we were out in the country, right? So you're not. 
But, you know, I was out there seriously going like standing on the edge of my trampoline and seeing a tree and going, can I wrap this thing around that tree limb and swing from here to there? You know what I mean? And it's just those are like to be able to do that as a grown up is is it's it's fun. And and it's funny, too. I think you have to have the metal for it, because I think there's a lot of people that, you know, are would be self-conscious. Right. And that's the other thing with acting is you have to sort of. The bigger, like, right, the bolder, the bet. It's like the idea of being great, like doing something that would be potentially embarrassing, right? Like the, you know, because of the weird irony of being an actor, because like, especially as an adult, you, you're bringing so much more to the table than you ever could have as a child because you've got all these life experiences that you've been carrying with you and you've accumulated. But now you've also got this like resistance to that that you've also developed along with it. Like, oh, no, this is not the way people behave. This is not. You don't just go start randomly yelling and screaming and, you know, frothing at the mouth just because you want to. But no, that is really what you kind of have to do as an actor. And that's the fun thing. Even I think me and Clayton have both gotten it at some point or another, like even doing this is not starting out to be actors. But there will come a scene where you just kind of have to like, OK, the guy's being he's crazy right now. So you just got to go with it. Well, and that is like when you finally get into that headspace and just run with it, yeah. like it's 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 a it's a fucking blast, man. Yeah. And the thing is, is I understand that there are people out there that their personalities are just not such that going for it is necessarily conducive to their whatever. Um, I think that go for it. People have a lot of fun. I mean, I'm not suggesting if you're not a go for it person that you can't have any fun, but you know, in, again, in the scenes that I work, since we're talking about that specifically, there is a, there is a, almost a fiery biblical, you know what I mean? Sort of point oh, so where yeah. this I mean, guy it's like, is it's the crescendo of the story. And so like, and when you come in there, it's like that you're, you're coming in there to just put that cherry on top of the Sunday. And you, it's kind of like, like you get to be like, okay, this, you're the headliner of the show and the stage is set. You get to walk out there with the fireworks and the sparks and you know, like that. <laughs> well, it's so, he like, is, it's, he is preaching, right? Like quite literally. Right. And yeah. as someone that grew up in the Southern Baptist church, Right. And has seen this, but someone that never in a million years would have ever thought, well, I'm never going to do that. But that looks like (laughs) and regardless of how you feel about religion, I'm not going to get into my opinions about all that. But it's just like it's something interesting to see. And then, to again, as I'm going, it's like, wow, okay, so I know what that looks like. Right. Like I've Mm -hmm. been in that room. You know what I mean? And it's like, can I do that? And the reality is, is you've got to, you cannot tiptoe across that line, right? Like it will not, it will not allow, it does not allow for it, right? It, it just is a, all right, you know, here we go. And, but there is a lot, but it is a lot of fun again to just um, embody someone that is so not like you, right? But well, it's, it's weird because like you get into that headspace, that rush of belief, like suddenly like this guy, he believes in that stuff, man. And it's like it, it something comes over you because I had to, I remember like when I was in college, I, I was in an acting class and they did something where, OK, somebody's got to go be like the hellfire and brimstone preacher. And I'm like you. I grew up in a small southern town. I've actually been to like a revival. And I'm sure you have, too. Or like you've you've seen you. We've we've seen this guy in real life. Yeah. And it's something about once you kind of start working yourself up and you get into that space, man, you realize like, okay, I see why people get into this, even what like if whether or not not to comment on the whole belief factor, but like there's that rush of the performance, like just like if you're playing an instrument, when you get into that groove and you just start start flowing, 
there, there's definitely something to it's it's you can't say it's not exhilarating like for whatever reason it's just and i'm sure and i'm sure you got something like that because like there was a i think when we were listening to you perform there was like a thing of you kind of working into it and when you finally hit that groove man it just it started to sing yeah there's some of i mean it's like you know for musicians it's the same thing like there are those moments where the song just sort of gets you right it's mm-hmm. like when and there's been times i've been playing live where everything just sort of disappeared, right? You're so, you're so in the, you become, you sort of become one with the moment, right? And those, those are trying to create that is difficult, right? But when it happens, it's, it's, it's really great, right? Like, and I'm sure that, and again, I don't, haven't acted enough to say, but I'm sure that my guess is that actors are like, when you, when that happens, like, that's kind of it, right? Like when everything's, it's like when a great harmony is in, and everybody's in tune, you know, you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's a, it's that hair. It's the hair on the back of your neck kind of moment. You know what I mean? It's that where, moment where magic feels like it's real. Yeah, yeah. So you know, for me, that was what was so because the stories are great, and then to be a part of it was you know flattering and humbling to be asked to be a part of it. And you know, like I've said before, assuming I don't get fired, like I hope there's future Greg, uh, there's future Greg Hightower stories because um, he's a sure guy. Is. He would be. He's an interesting guy to 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 recreate, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. or, or to create or recreate in this way or how, however you would say that. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, at a bare minimum, uh, Greg is coming back for, uh, the five pointed star, which is a uh, kind of a story that we'll get into probably in season two, where we talk about how Garfield's crossing really got to where it is right now with Abernathy as the sheriff and Eric Bacon running the devil's grin and, um, sort of the, the change of hands back from when, um, Garfield's Crossing was more corrupt and kind of a, a not a nice place, which is a, a story that you're going to hear called Snake Eater at the end of season one, um, or the second second episode before the end of season one. Actually, may it may be the first episode you ever listened to. We're still playing around with the order here, but um, there's he's going to come back for that. And I've been playing with the idea of telling the other side of the story. So for guards or God's Always at the Gates, it's told mostly about you know kind of the quote unquote good guys. Um, but I have thought very long and hard about telling the side of the story from, uh, Carol and, uh, and Paul and Greg and that whole thing. Cause can you only imagine that scene where Greg finds out somebody took his stuff? Oh yeah. Ooh, yeah. Buddy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that's such an irresistible like idea <laughs> or like just like here you want to know how that all came together. Like what was that first that aha moment where like, yeah, man, I need to start a cult. Well, and just someone that that <laughs> is potentially that mercurial, you know what I mean? I mean, that's sort of the thing is like um, you're talking about, in my mind, a guy who's um, whose ceiling of internal temperature is much higher than most. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that his oven goes to 800 degrees. Right. As opposed to most people's ovens go to 500. Right. So, um, you know, just again, the idea of reaching for those sorts of things is is a lot of fun. I mean, but, you know, just tying it back into the project. I mean, there's lots of great characters and lots of great people that have worked on them. And and Mm -hmm. it's a bold I mean, I give you guys credit. It's a bold project. I mean, I think it's a it's a to do again. I think there's amount of courage and and and. Uh, gumption to say I know this is not a normal construct and and I hate the word normal because yeah what is that you know but th- it's something that is not 
out there in spades and it's like, we believe in it and we think it's, and we're just going to go, go get after it. So, you know, to those of you listening again, we're going to link up the Kickstarter and, and, uh, and I would encourage everyone to go and support it um, at the bare minimum, consume it and, you know, let other people know about it. Right. So to give them a chance to consume it, um, you know, if you have the, the means or the um, or the inclination to support it, you know, financially, um, that just means you get more content. You know, I, I, yeah. Yeah. I uh, it, 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 it as we wrap up here, one thing that I think is is germane to the conversation is I saw. There's a guy that I know who's a, a a manager, a music manager, and and he put something on social media the other day because there was someone, and and I know I don't want to sound like I'm a you get off my lawn guy because I'm old and <laughs> you know and I grew up and and I was in the music business as well, but you know there was a basically someone tweeted something and I've seen this a bunch about you know the idea of how music should be free and you know it's like I paid this much for an iPhone like Apple Music should be free and much like him, it sort of sets me off, right? Because Apple doesn't own all that content, right? They're just the distributor. And like those people have worked hard to produce that. And I don't understand where people get this idea that things they like should, they should just have access to. Right. And it's, and it's weird with art to me or things that are not corporeal, right. To use a SAT word, right. Like you would never walk into a store and say, Oh my gosh, I really like that shirt. You should just give me one. Right. Right. It's like, no, you give me $19 and you can have the shirt. Right. And it's like with music and art, it's like this idea that these artists have spent their time and their effort and their creative energy and they've made a thing and you just think you're supposed to have it like for nothing. You know, it's like it's a weird to me. It's just the weirdest. I don't I don't get it. Right. Like, I don't understand it mentally. But the point I was going to make at is, is that I think by supporting these kinds of things fiscally. Right. If you can. Um, what you're doing is, is you're, you're empowering the creation of more stuff that you can consume. Right. Yeah, and, and, exactly. and that's what you want, right? If no one buys, if nobody buys the first Foo Fighters record or Beatles record or name it, yep. you don't get revolver and you don't get Sergeant Peppers and you don't get the white album. You know what I'm saying? Like there are things you don't get, like people have to there's a machine, right. That needs to work and you need to go out and do it. And it's just, again, it's amazing to me that people will pay. Um, and I'll blast them. I don't care. People will pay, you know, $8 for burnt coffee at the, at the green coffee shop. If you understand what I'm saying (laughs) and you know, but you've got a problem with like a $5 subscription to a streaming service to help pay for the people that create the music. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Drink one less shitty coffee drink a month and help, you know, provide to the ecosystem that makes all this shit you like to listen to. I mean, yeah, you think about like something like uh, one of these streaming services, like you're paying like, yeah, like for maybe one coffee or two a month, you're getting access to like literally as much stuff as you can probably more stuff than you can watch like within a, a that month long period. Like if you just sat and oh, watched in like, a lifetime, day, you wouldn't even get through yeah. it. Exactly. That's, that like something that was like unheard of, like, you know, 15 to 20 years ago, like, like certainly when all of us were like little kids, like you couldn't even have dreamed of such a thing. To use a business term, the return on investment there is, is exponential, right? It's yeah. massive. And, yep, yep. you know, these things, again, like these things need to, these things to a degree, money is oxygen and Mm -hmm. right. Like oxygen, you need oxygen, right. For these things to be able to breathe and, 
and to live on. Right. So there can be more. So, you know, I would, again, I would encourage people. And also if those of you are listening that have companies that I, unless I'm mistaken, there are corporate spot possibilities as well. So if, you know, if you have a corporation that supports this kind of stuff, there's, you know, I'm assuming there's going to be real estate, right. For, to, you know, where your business, you know, if you, if you decide to, contribute as a business there's places where that'll be page you know get your logo up there maybe if you get a high enough level we'll even you know make you a nice little audio spot um it's you know little little things like that that you know like if you're it's kind of like well that's the cool thing about like a kickstarter is like is if you give you're still you're also getting something back so i had i had a i'm a derail us for just a second i had uh an interesting encounter we'll say that uh <laughs> when uh i think i know what you're talking about what what so as a part of the Kickstarter, uh, and as anyone who's been in sales knows, you just got to pick up the phone, right? And you just got to make your calls. So I've been going through the process of uh, emailing a lot of my personal contacts and going, hey, look, here's the thing we're doing. Um, I'd really like your support. Can I count on your support? And I had um, someone I used to know who I sent the email out because uh, we had a really long-term close relationship. Um professional and, and so personal <laughs> so i thought uh and the immediate response i got back was this just i was full of vitriol there was so much anger in it and it was all i don't hear from you for years and now you want his money and some people work for a living meanwhile uh audience i i have a full-time job uh mm-hmm. i'm starting up a company and I have the production company, so I I know what it is to work for a living. <laughs> but I then had to go and explain to this person what Kickstarter is. You understand that you're not just giving money to a thing. I mean, if you want to just give money to a thing, fine, you're giving money to a thing. But you're buying a product, right? You're paying for the product to be produced, which you then get after it's produced. It's not like you don't get to touch it afterwards. So... <laughs> Yeah, and, and the only other thing that I will say uh, is that for the the people out there who are going to further the image of the starving artist being sexy, have never <laughs> been a starving artist. So get fucked. <laughs> yeah, well, and also, I mean, it's it again. It's to me, it's the nature of the product that people need to, I think, view in a different light. Right? Like if if you had opened a restaurant, mm-hmm. right? And said and caught and reached out to people, even you haven't talked to, and said, "Hey, I I, I need people to come in here and eat, right? Yeah. It, you know, you eat right everywhere. Some people else. work for a living, yeah, right. It's like you eat, you go and spend these dollars everywhere else. I'm not, you know, it's like right. I'm not. It's like I'm not trying to sell you a backhoe if you live in a in a condo in Midtown, <laughs> right? Like that's something where I would look at you and like get angry, right? If you called right. me and tried to sell me a tractor, I'm like." what? Like, I don't, what do you, but these are things that everyone, right. And it's just like, all I'm saying is, is like, Hey man, I just want to let you know, I started a restaurant. Um, you know, if you're going to eat anyway, it'd be super cool if you came and ate here. Right. It's also, it's, it's something that's unique to art that, you know, it's because like you said, it's not necessarily always like corporeal, like for like a song or like, if you go to a concert, okay, you got the people there in front of you, but like you get these people that think, I think there's a lot of the, the, you know, the normies, you know, for lack of a better term, <laughs> normies. normies, yeah, the normies are the non-creatives who you just fucking think, muggles. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, that's kind of how it feels sometimes. 
like no seriously like it, it like there's people who just think that this stuff kind of like materializes out of thin air and they don't realize like oh yeah like you know how you went to your job and you had to get years of training to learn how to do it properly and you learn how to do all the other aspects of this thing like whether it's a uh, whether it's like corporate accounting or you're going to be like, you know, working in a hospital as a nurse or something. And they get, those are important jobs and I can't knock them because we need that stuff. But at the same time for like when you're going home and you're trying to unwind and you just want to be entertained and go like, you know, get away from your day. There are those people who are making that stuff and they're learning how to do that too, whether they're learning how to make the music or they're learning how to write, you know, which words to choose, which, sounds to use and or which colors and which images like all that stuff there's that's the flip side but because it's not it's maybe something that's so alien to their experience that they can't like wrap their oh yeah these these people work too they may not work the way i work but they're putting in time and energy trying to you know make a good thing and it's just like you know like I know obviously there's certain jobs like where if like either you, if you do them well, you don't notice, but if you do them badly, everyone's going to notice like you, know, you kind of <laughs> go to the hospital, you go in there and you get healed. And you go, okay. Thanks doc. But like, if you go in there and something bad happens to you, like if someone like leaves a scalpel in you after a surgery, <laughs> suddenly like, okay, like now, now you're like, you're laser focused on that person or it's like, <laughs> but I think with what's like maybe the opposite thing with artists, like if the really good ones, like everyone notices, but then, like there's also there's all those other ones that are still working, still doing stuff, but they're maybe not getting the glory. But people don't realize like, yeah, those people still need to eat, too. They got to pay their yeah. bills. They got to do their thing. It's it's yeah, the whole like ecosystem of it all. I think people it's it's um it's easy to overlook just because I think especially like like we're going back to like what you were saying earlier, like with the Netflix and the Amazons and Hulus and all the podcasts that you can you know download for free. You know, like it's nowadays, I think people take it for granted a lot more than they ever have. No doubt. And this is not, and I mean, we're talking about your project specifically because you guys are here, but this is not unique yep. to that. I mean, I, I I try to bang this drum a fair amount. Again, having been, you know, and knowing people that, you know, like I said, are, you know, writing great music, but then are banging out covers in a bar or somewhere late at night so they can, yep. you know, survive. Um this is true for lots of things, right? Like, it's like, hey, this is a thing. And if it's not your thing, that's okay, too. But it's like, buy a ticket to a local theater, right, production. Um, you know, pick up an independent record. You know what I mean? Like, oh, how about this? Buy an independent movie to stream instead of, you know what I mean? Like, bit torrenting, which I'm probably not a thing anymore. But, you know, illegally streaming, you know, other stuff. It's like, you're... You know, it's like, think about what you do for a living and imagine if the whole universe said that they didn't want to pay for that anymore. Mm -hmm. And you are now, guess what? Unemployed, right? If somebody all of a sudden you're whatever you're, because if you were, no matter where you're, no matter where you work, if you're drawing a paycheck, your company is producing a product Mm -hmm. that people buy, right? Even if it's a nonprofit, right? You're selling, right? The money comes from somewhere. So I just, I hope that people don't, don't devalue. I just don't like people devaluing art. You know what I mean? And in an idea that it should just, you know, like computers and t-shirts and hamburgers and, you know, oh, that's something we should pay for. But like these creative things, someone should just give to me. Like to me, right. that's a very myopic and, you know, selfish sort of uh, opinion. And again, that's not trying to guilt anybody into throwing money at stuff. You know, I just think that, if you're going to consume I, and you like, I'm to not cons- above guilting. People I know. Under- 
throw money at stuff. But if you're going to consume, you know what I mean? Like, this is how these things get made, and this is how these mm-hmm. things are out there for you to enjoy, right? Yep. Um, and that's uh, – those things are important, right, and are, you know, are – are necessary and life would the world would be a lot grayer if all we were doing was chugging out widgets. You, you know what I mean? More, man. This is the color, you know, these things are the color in the world, right? Like so well dude, I dudes, I guess. This was my yeah. first menage a trois podcast um where I've had pop m- pop that chair. Multiple guests, yeah. Um I'm used to the uh the one-on-one thing. I'm expanding my horizons like college. Um, <laughs> uh, I appreciate you guys coming on. Um, you know, yeah, we will, I will obviously be, um, abreast of this, um, personally and, uh, uh, good luck. I think you guys have created a great thing and I'm excited to see it, uh, grow. Love it, man. Thanks so much. All right. Well, um, stick around for one second. Um, everybody, thanks for coming. Um, I always appreciate the time you give me. I know that it's uh time is as valuable as dollars and your, your minutes and spending some time with this was, uh, it's really important, but, um, check out, you can Google Garfield's crossing and get there. There's a website. The stories are there. If you want to read them in print, I believe, um, uh, yes. uh, a, you don't just have to take our word for that. The stories are good. You can actually <laughs> read them for yourself and say uh, that if, to add to it, if you decide whether or not you want to donate to this thing, if you want to hear these things brought to life, you can actually go read the stories. Yeah, and they are on the social medias as well. I'll link that stuff. There's Facebook. There's uh, the Twitters. I mean, this is for, I think Garfield's Crossing and Novus Opera, right, have have their little uh, corners of the internet. Um, we'll mm-hmm. get all those links up there for you guys to, you know, first of all, just check it out. I think you'll really like it. And then, obviously, I'll get the Kickstarter up. And if you guys can assist with the project. Um, that would be amazing. So, um, gentlemen, thanks again. Um, and to everyone out there, be safe, uh, mask up, um, take care of one another. Uh, and until next time, press on.